Season 3, Episode 1 of the Board Game Gambit Podcast. We are back. Joining you as always is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Hello, everyone. So, it's been a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, A lot of things have um, uh, changed, including the fact that I haven't had access to my gaming collection since May 5th. Oh my gosh. Yep. I stuck all of the games in a big container that has been floating on the ocean for a few months. It finally got to Ireland, where I am now. Uh, But it's in storage because we need a place where to unpack all of the games and we're not there yet. So, I mean, I brought some games with me because you can sacrifice clothes to to get uh, games um, or books. You can sacrifice whatever to put it in in the luggage, but it's a small collection and we have already bought a few. But yeah, it has been a weird gaming scenario for the last few months. So that's very interesting, actually, to me. So what were the games that you said, I absolutely have to bring these with us? So I tried to get a little variety and obviously stay away from things that were too big. So, for example, Anna, (laughs) I think jokingly, but she wanted Nemesis, but it was impossible to bring because it's Mm -hmm. features. Um, And similarly with my escape, the curse of the temple, I couldn't bring the big box. So we brought... um, a lot of small, physically and practically small games. Uh, the Gridzol, Lanabi, Love Letter, um, Claims, which is new to us and, and I like quite a bit, and um, Draftosaurus, that kind of stuff. Of sizable games, we brought our Star Wars LCG collection. Uh, I mean, the, the decks, not all, right. all the rest. Um, Macau, because I can... Of course. Play. Macau behind. Lost Ruins of Aranak, because I wanted to explore that more. And uh, Small World, because it's a game that is in that average level between something more complicated and just the... And all of the tiny epic that we had. Um, sure. Yeah. So that, that was a good balance, I think. That's all, yes. Do you have um, tiny epic dinosaurs? Yes, I actually like it quite a bit. Yeah, I played that for the first time um, leaving Gen Con, actually. It is, in a way, I was skeptical when I got it. Uh, I often don't investigate them much because I back them them with uh, my friend Dan. And so he backs them, I just... PayPal him the 20 whatever dollars. <laughs> I don't look into them much beside the general theme until I get it. And I was a little skeptical. I got it because it was dinosaurs and I like them and it was easy enough. But it's actually, I think, a decent small Euro game. I think it hits what I would want all of the Tiny Epic games to be, which is interesting enough without becoming a full-fledged game. So I think some of the recent things have erred on the side of, if I'm playing this busy of a game, I want it to be regular-sized. Sure. But I think the dinosaur one is is cute. I don't 
remember all of the details because it had been a while since I played it. I haven't played it since I, I moved. So last time it was in April. But I remember that you have few defined actions and you have a little bit of special puzzle to, to deal with. And there are a couple of special dinosaurs, enough to make it interesting from what I remember. Yeah, I really like that one a lot. It it was a lot of fun. I'd never played it before, and my friend Dan owns it. The person that I, my friend that I go to Gen Con with every year, uh, and he was like, "This is my favorite one of these." So I was like, "So if this is your favorite one, I probably don't need to try any of the, any of the other ones." So <laughs> the last one was very disappointing for me. Um, Tiny Epic Dungeons. Uh, it looked interesting. It spoke about having a story and all of that. And it was a very, to me, I didn't play the expansion, but the basic game was a, a very, very boring move twice, but take two actions, but it was move and interact with the rooms. But rooms were different, but they all work the same. If it's a monster, you roll on your attack skill. If it is a bridge, you do something different, but it was very dry. Um, mm-hmm. And, with the fact that it was the first one with miniatures, although tiny miniatures, I was expecting to be much more thematic because I never play dungeon games for the the, the deep strategy. I mean, the scent maybe has a lot of, of things to consider, but most of it is the fascination with the theme, and it wasn't there at all. <laughs> so that's... So- that- already gone yeah so speaking of dungeon games i actually got to play clank dungeon at gen con have you heard about it no so clank dungeon is the newest iteration of clank and it feels so much more thematic to me for what the game is trying to do because you're trying to explore the dungeon and with the previous ones, you have everything laid out, so you know where to go, you know which way to go. So it was it's kind of like you build it as you go, so you're like moving spaces and then you explore onto a side and then a, a new tile flips out. Oh, so you it's not a reveal map. Right. So it feels more it gives me more of what I want from a dungeon crawler type game. And it just felt like the best iteration of Clank that I've played. I still haven't finished Clank Legacy with Scott, um, but it it just feels like you're exploring, like you're doing, you're trying to find the treasure and sometimes luck is on your side and you find <laughs> something good and sometimes it's not. <laughs> you are just kind of stuck. So I, I really liked it. Did you get it? So it wasn't available at Gen Con, but I did. Uh, I was one of the like premier players to play it or whatever. So it was fun. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. Speaking of Gen Con, so this, I guess, was one of the highlights. Um, so I couldn't make it to Gen Con this year, which it was the first time in a few years that I mm-hmm. missed it. Uh, we even considered we were actually in uh, in Rhode Island uh, that week, 
and we considered <laughs> doing a crazy drive, but we were in the US for 10 days after having left it. So it didn't seem like a good use of the time. Um, so was it back to quasi-normal? Uh, it, was, it was much bigger than the year before. Um, I would say basically up to the capacity that it was pre-COVID. And masks were still in place. That was one thing. Um, and vaccinations were required and you had to get a band in a special room. Like you had to go there and present your card and they would give you a, a band that you could wear all weekend. So um, that was fine. It The line moved really fast. It moved faster than we'll call, but the line was really long. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think it was back. The um, auction was back, which was something that I had missed and I got to bring a bunch of games and make a bunch of money <laughs> on things that I don't play. Yeah. Did you buy much at the auction? No. Um, we had a very... It didn't seem like it, but we had a very packed schedule um, for demoing. And then any time that we had any sort of free time, we went to um, Lost Ruins of Arnak had a scavenger hunt that was like on your phone. So it, it was asking riddles and you would have to solve them. And honestly, I don't know how other people solve them because like Dan and I, I feel like we're very smart people, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the field of medicine Dan is a computer science engineer. So, you know, we're smart people, but some of these puzzles were so hard. And um, the whole point at the end was to enter into a drawing for a free, are they CGE? CGE. Yeah, yeah CGE products. So, um, yeah, we didn't win, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun nonetheless. Like, we were running all over the the halls and, like, there were questions about like different posters that they had hung up or questions about there were like word problems and it was intense. So that was a lot of fun though. They, and they announced the new expansion, but it wasn't there to, to be demoed, right? The new expansion. I, thought... I saw an announcement that they're coming out with a new expansion, but I don't think there are much details yet. Oh, for new... Arnak? Yeah. No, they didn't have any any sort of stuff like that for that. Um, they did have their two newer games. I forgot what the one was. But the one that I did demo was Deal with the Devil. Yep. It was weird. I, I don't think it's for me. Um, it mixes the Euro management part, which I didn't notice being particularly interesting in that game. But mm. it is and you have to deal with it with the social deduction but the social deduction was not really deductible it was more of well, I think this is so I think it did neither of those fine for me I didn't enjoy I haven't played the full game it must be 
disclosed. I only got the demo, but that demo did nothing for me. So we sat down for, I guess, like, I guess it's in thirds the game is, or I don't remember exactly how it was broken down, but we played one chunk, basically. And so we played a couple of rounds where we exchanged our little chests that you scan into your phone with the QR code, and then you trade them, and then you either make the exchange or you don't. And it was a lot. (laughs) Um, I think we didn't really understand how the scoring was going to work. So we didn't really know like what was important, what was not. So I feel like that kind of missed out on us. Um, But we did get an overall feel of the game. And yeah, similarly, Games, so games that only can play four people are not ones that will hit my table very often. Um, two, three, if I'm lucky, four is like I've made plans, this has been you know <laughs> scheduled for a while. Uh, so it's it's not something that I foresee myself getting. Yeah, and not only that, but I think once you have four players and you want to explain a game that is, I mean, is not a Lacerta, but it still has a, a quite a deal of things to explain. Um, I don't think I want to put all of that effort in planning and explaining and getting ready and being busy with that. At that right. point, I'd rather play, I don't know, Rising Sun or or some more exciting euro and um yeah that wasn't wasn't for me and it, it's always a pity because i really like both the production and the presentation of uh, check edition games mm-hmm. so it it's always i always want to like their game so i was very well disposed and the, the title sounds super cool um so yeah it was i saw it at essen and it was not not my thing um, so another standout that di- I did not think was going to be a standout for me was Twilight Inscription. Oh, ho, ho, ho. I see so, this. Yes. So my friend Dan got it as a joke. And for those listening, you might not have heard it. Twilight Inscription is the roll and write version of... Twilight Imperium 4, and it's supposed to be an epic uh, roller and, and write. It's like, it's not a, oh, let's play this 20-minute game that is inspired <laughs> thematically. It's supposed to be a significant port, like, oh, you don't have eight hours. Let's play for two and a half or two hours. Yeah. Up to eight players, I think, right? Something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so, it's intense. So um, our first playthrough took three hours. Without but he did. He, just me and my friend Dan. Three hours. So, yeah. Um, no, but he bought it as a joke the, fir- like the first day we saw it at a booth that was like a random person's booth. It wasn't like Miniature Market or anything like that. It was just like a company that had come to sell games and they were selling it. And he bought it. He was like, whatever, we'll try it. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I really like it i liked it enough that i went to go buy it and unfortunately the whole rest of the con it was out 
and every day people were running, literally running to go get it to the one booth. And they would have like 40 copies a day or something very, very tiny. And so I just pre-ordered it and called it a day. I was like, well, just play your copy, whatever. But yeah, so it was three hours. If you play with two players, you have to have a an AI. Mm-hmm. But it is a very simple AI. Okay. Which, you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of AIs that are, you don't have to really think about them. So you roll all six dice and the colored dice, those are ones that you mark off on his sheet. If you get to an event, that event happens. That's it. Okay. So um, I know that it has a lot of little rules and things like that. And obviously, particularly with a game like this, without having it in front of us or the people listening, it's impossible to grasp all of the rules. <laughs> how, does it, how does it work? Because I, I have to disclose my bias. In general, I'm not a fan of... Um, roller rights, sure. but normally my understanding of roller rights, which might be limited, there might be many different ones, but the most common is you roll this and you decide, okay, how do I want to use these numbers? Sometimes there are colors of the dice and I'm trying to either complete a set or do a straight and everything gives me a little points. So I use them here, you use them there. And at the end, whoever has the most points wins, but is really not mechanical well it is somewhat mechanical right is okay i want to fill in the 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 green area or i want to put all five in a row whatever i imagine this is much more so so the thing that i would compare it the most to is creature comforts have you actually played creature comforts only a demo but i know the game yeah so you know a little information of the resources that you're going to have. Then you make your decisions and then you get the rest of the dice. So that's basically the same thing. So you get an event, you choose, there are four very large (laughs) dry erase sheets that you get. um, And you choose which one of those four you're going to try for this round. And then um, you use the resources that you get on the card. And then you roll the dice and you use the rest that you get. So it's that's why I say it's kind of similar to Creature Converse because you have that little bit of information and you kind of know what you're going for overall anyway. So you go and make those decisions and then you're locked into those. So And then you hope that the dice come out the way you want them to. Um, so I would say it's kind of similar to that. I'm sure the mighty lion race of the Akan will be happy to be compared to the creature comfort. Right, right. <laughs> of it, yeah. Yes. Uh, but um, do you think the beside the obvious that there is an AI and when you play with more players, there there is no AI, AI do you think the the in kind of interaction would be much more prominent? Is there a lot of interaction? How does it? So um, there are four different boards that you're you're going for, and each of the boards has their own achievement. 
Okay. And if you're the first to reach that achievement, you get the most points. If you do it in the same round as other people, you sh- you both get the most points, and then it goes to a smaller point value. So there are different objectives that you're racing towards. So they're all, um, they're all different things that you're going for. Uh, and then also there's a war that occurs. Um, three times, I believe. There's also voting that occurs three times. Um, the voting mechanism is significantly different with an AI versus with um, more more players. And you vote with more players. You vote either pass or fail. And if whoever whichever side has the more votes on it, that is the one that gets resolved. With the AI, you have to have more votes than the AI, or you have negative consequences. Okay. So, so while, while in the regular game, you vote on rules, basically. Yes. The laws are... An um, event. So, obviously, it cannot be uh, the same as the very busy game of TI4. But do you think that the theme has some relevance? Or is it one of those... Sometimes roll and rights are very transparently... Well, it could be anything. Sometimes they do try to to instead being connected to the theme. I'm thinking, for example, of Welcome to Well. That's technically a flip and write, but um, mm-hmm. that the theme, insofar as the game is what it is, comes through. You're trying to build your town, and the spatial becomes important. How does this go? Does the theme make some sense, or is it just a, a skin? I feel like it could be something else. I feel like they did a very good job of giving a feel of that kind of game because the four different boards that you have are exploration, warfare, uh, I forget the other two. Three. <laughs> one is um, it, one is like a resource collection sort of thing. And what is on the last one? The last one has like the voting and the the other kind of stuff on it. But I can pull it up. Hang on. It has Okay, Navigation, Expansion, Warfare, and Industry. Those are the four different boards. So one, you're exploring on different planets. One, you're more outwardly like exploring like the galaxy. One, you are building your fleet against the, the two sides. So that's um, another spot where it varies with the AI. So the AI, um, you put on one side of you in between you, and to the left is the player, and to the right is the AI in... The other, like with more people, it's just the player on your left and the player on your right. So, um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot to take in. And I feel like, so I've played it now with my friend Dan. I played it twice. I played it with my friend Brian and I played it with my friend Gene. And I feel like now I really actually have a... a a mindset for it where I can like see, okay, I need to do this. The war is coming up. I need to prepare this. Whereas 
these people who are playing it for the first time, it has a huge, huge, huge learning curve. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like it's kind of unfair. <laughs> but, uh, but but none of them have said, like, oh, I would not play this again. Okay, that's interesting. And, I mean, beside my joke at the beginning, it's certainly a unique space, meaning that it's not just a little longer than other, or a little more involved than other rolling right this is a completely different scale for a rolling right that's drastically new and that's that's interesting um again being not a genre that i am fond of i'm quite sure that i don't want to get into a even if it were an hour and a half probably um but it's interesting that they are trying something different and that it's not simply a let's stick the theme on top of a game that has nothing to do with it they are trying to to mimic um, the the big game. Yeah, I really liked it. So was there any miniature heavy game or miniature present game that you saw? I'm looking around because I <laughs> feel like I would have purchased it. Did you get your, I know that was not Gen Con related, but do you get your Monumental? No, I I wasn't trying to be funny. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't follow other other Kickstarters that I didn't touch. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the latest update is that they have no idea if or when they will be fulfilling this project. That sounds fantastic, what every backer wants to hear. Mm -hmm. Especially for those of us who are like, oh, I missed out on the first one, so let me go ahead and do the all-in pledge and try and get all of the the stuff and the new stuff and the minis and the... So I've got the fanciest version that may never come. So... Makes you feel appreciated, huh? (laughs) Yeah... Um, they were going to come to Gen Con, I guess, and people were outraged. They were like, well, if you're coming to Gen Con, why can't you bring our things? Why can't you, you know, and it just kind of spiraled. So I think that sort of scared them away from coming to Gen Con. And then they, they clarified that they weren't coming to Gen Con and that they were going to have games at a booth, but they weren't going to like bring people there. So like it became this huge thing. So um, yeah, that that is a drama. The reason I was asking about the the miniatures is because both you and I appreciate games that are visually stunning with miniatures and big pieces and color, but we also like euros and all of that, although I tend to like euros that have a good presentation anyhow. But um, so I went back to Essen and for us, for me and Anna, it had been 13 years since we were last in Essen. And it was wow. great. It was great to go back. We were also very, very happy that we met at the airport landing. We met a group of Irish uh, gamers um, and Dennis, who was a little bit of the organizer of this group, took us 
under his wing. And so we were basically adopted in this group of, of friends, which is always nice to know people. So we would visit the, the convention on our own. But as soon as the, 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 the convention was over, we'd go together for dinner. We would spend the night uh, in pubs, things like that. Um, but beside that, one of the things that there are two main differences, I think, um, that struck me. Uh, three, actually. One is you find a lot of games to buy. Um, there are a lot of used games, um, games that are not necessarily new. And so we end up buying a little bit more than, than we do at Gen Con. We don't buy much at Gen Con. Um, and that's a positive in my in my book, having that option. <laughs> but there's a, two things that I wasn't super convinced. One, one a lot of the demos are quite long, um, which is good if you really, really want to determine 100% whether a game is for you or not and you need the full game. But often to try and get shorter, and I'm not talking five minutes, but even like an half an hour demo or something like that, we would need to, okay, but we would only want to play like a third of the game, a fourth of the game. We don't need to go through all of the iterations because if you do that, you see three games a day. Um, mm-hmm. That was a little bit problematic. And the other thing is that it's very more inclined uh, um, or focused on Euros, which I liked. I saw a lot of things, some of which were incredibly interesting, and I will get to that later. But the the feeling of seeing a big production live, um, which is more prominent at Zencon, is something that I miss a little bit. Meaning that a Euro often I get excited about it even just by reading the rules. So being able to be there and seeing it is it's a plus, but it's not as much as it was. I remember when I saw, uh, for example, the presentation of Rising Sun, again, long before I could play it, seeing it there, or even games that I don't love, um, like Game of Thrones, the board game, when they came out with a new expansion, they had all of these cool pieces. So by the nature of the beast, the visual impact is a little bit less. And that goes together with the fact that they don't conceive of, even the big companies, they don't conceive of their stand as a showpiece. Mm-hmm. The space, sometimes very big, there are a lot of tables and that's exciting. You have a, a chance to look at the games because there are a lot of tables, but there is not that, oh, come here, I will make my stand uh, visually uh, stunning, visually appealing with uh, diorama or a big statue or uh, and so that that was a little bit a bit different um, and um, much like you I like all kind of games so not having that aspect was a little detracting for me but it was great to be to be back that sounds like a, a very cool experience though it is it is um, I think if if I were to pick one in in my life, I would probably pick Jenkin, but I'm very, very happy to be able to to have done both. Um, and we, as soon as we entered Essen, the first um, the, um, stand we saw was a used game uh, reseller. And we, we said, well, what do we need? We usually buy games that we want. We don't wait for years. So there was... Um, the one thing that we didn't have was Kalimambo. 
it's an old game. I think it's 15 year old or so, where the theme is hilarious. You are explorers in the savannah, and you're trying not to step on rhinoceros poo or get charged by a rhinoceros <laughs> while following around a weird animal that looks like a seal, but the rules say that is an unknown animal who's called Kali. So Mambo is the rhinoceros, Kali is this creature. What you do in the game is you select a card from your deck. You have all of the same hand, the same deck, cards from one to from 0 to 11, and then you move to the front of the line in order from highest card played to lowest card played, um, trying to avoid to step on the negative points spots and trying not to be hit by this automated rhinoceros, which moves when he has not, no one in front. And so you're trying to determine what other people are going to do. The quirk being that if two players play the same card, two or more players, only the player who's further behind in the line will move. And so you're trying constantly to go, oh, I could go 10, but if I go with a 10, maybe someone else will play it, so I could go lower, but if no one else matches up, I will step on the wrong thing. And it's it's a very light game that whenever I explain it, people look at us going like, okay, I guess I'll try it because it doesn't doesn't get the, the the description but then once you start playing it you get involved in this very silly team and very quick play and it's it's a game that in america is a little not super rare but being a game like this i didn't want to track it down or anything like that and we found it right at the entrance so it was our first buy fit 15 seconds into into the convention hall so it was it was great how many does it play it looks like it plays six oh, wait or something like eight? that yeah um yeah that's that's fun we would the only time we played Seven. it this year was uh in a pub so it's it's simple enough that you can play it anywhere it takes 15 minutes um, and people often want to play it again, which is not necessarily something that I want to do. But but it's it, it goes uh, down well. Um, our friend Phil uh, taught us a few years ago, and we have requested it often uh, at the beginning of game nights and things like that, or it was at one Jackie Con or something like that. It's very cute. I like the little plastic poos. <laughs> They are they're wood actually. Oh, That's, then I like it even better. Yeah, uh, the the chunky they're not really meeples, but the chunky explorers are, are nice. Yep. Uh, and you have the little animals and all of that. Um, so any other new, uh, even that maybe is not out yet, but something again of these more visually appealing or miniatures or air control that that you saw that you got. About. I'm trying to think. Um, my father's work was there, which oh, people you? were. I had backed it, so I had already had it. Um, but that was like the first presentation of it, so people were very excited about that. Um, have you played it since? I I have played it. Um, 
I don't know about its replayability. Mm, because it's very story-driven, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's unlike games that I've played before, but it's also reminiscent of like Mansions of Madness is what I would say, the newest edition where you're interacting heavily with this app and you're trying to, um, you know, figure out the best thing to do and you don't really know what the best thing to do is. And if you play the same scenario, you can get very similar results with playing like, oh, I know that I need to donate money to this thing or I need to, you know, help the hospital or I need to, you know, X, Y, or Z. So in that sense, like I've, I've played it three times and I played the same scenario because I was like, I want to see if I can get different results and they were very similar. Sure, like, we went to a different board, and the story was a little bit different, but, like, having one or two different worker placement spots, to me, is not very exciting. Um, so, I think I'll probably play through all the scenarios and then probably sell it. Okay, but I'm, I'm seeing a trend here. So, this you had already. Um the clank one uh, was only for presentation yep twilight inscription you couldn't secure a copy i'm getting worried here did you buy something at Jenko? oh you know what what was my biggest disappointment which i ended up not buying <laughs> okay let's get to this terracotta army oh i have a review copy but i haven't had the chance to to look at it yet I did not like it. Like, even if someone was like, oh, I really want to play this, like, do you... No, I'm all set. Really disliked it. Because it went from being, like, one of my must-haves to being, like, I'm... The other thing that came back this year was the uh, Board Game Geek Hot Room. Mm-hmm. So Dan and I would just sit in there for hours. We would book our our seats and we would just sit in there for hours and play play the new games that we couldn't get to in the demo hall. Um, and that was one of them. And I just did not like it. It so, seemed too random to me. So again, mentioning that I've only read the rules so far but um it seems to me that you have these two moments basically first you have an activation on a quasi rondelle is not really a rondelle because you don't move you you choose a slice basically mm-hmm. um, and you activate two to three actions depending on what you can resolve and what you're doing is getting clay to build statues of different kinds that you then put onto a, a board where you are trying to build combination and having majorities in groups to make it very very straightforward yes so to me this second part as you know i have not a big passion for spatial relationship um but vice versa the first part sounded very interesting from the rules so what is that made it not not working for you so even with two players you can't really plan your turn 
Because if the person decides to spend money to to change the wheel, your options have now completely changed. Because if you need one action that's on a specific wheel and they move that wheel, you now have to completely rethink your turn, completely rethink everything that you're going to do. And that just added so much time to the game. Because not only you cannot plan you in the, before the other player's turn, but even when you plan what you're going to do, or I'll do A now to do B later, you have no guarantee of being able to do B later. Correct, because it could move to a spot that has someone's meeple on it, and then, or if you don't have the money, you can't move it, and it just, like, became this, like, puzzle that I could not figure out. <laughs> so it was just, I was like, this is not for me, and the, the spatial element doesn't bother me. I know as much as you typically like str- have a strong feeling of dislike towards it. I'm like, eh, either way, you know, I I can take it or leave it. But it just that part was very like dry to me. It was just very like mechanical. It didn't feel like people are like, oh, you get to build the the different soldiers and you get to see and put them standing and it looks like the terracotta army. Sure, fine. The minis are are very nice. They come out of the box and you're like, ooh, ah. But then you're stuck with this game that you don't want to play. So <laughs> so I, I will play it just to, to review it. Um, just to balance this uh, disappointment in uh, uh, Bowden Dice, um, the other game that they they put out is fantastic. Tilletum? Uh, yeah. Tilletum, I'm... Yeah. I was super impressed with it. I played it a couple of times. Um, I will get in, into putting together my my ideas for a review, but um, again, briefly, without even trying to get to all of the rules there, but is you choose on your turn, you choose a die from a pool, but the, the quirk is the die determines the action um, and each action changes the number by which it is activated every round. But the higher the number, the more resources you get, and that's depending on the color of the die. But beside determining which action it activates, it also determines how weak it is. So if the action is on the six, it means that you will activate it with the power of one. If the action is on the four, it means you will activate it with the power of three and so forth and so on. Which means that it has this balancing of, it's not that high dice are better than low dice, but the clever thing is that that's already predetermined, meaning that this round, before you modify, before you use bonuses and all of, of course, there is a lot of that, but this round, everyone will use the merchant action, will use it with the four, therefore, unless they modify it, they are using a power three for that. Um, and so it's a very direct mechanism compared to all of the others, uh, Tzolkin, um, Teotihuacan, um, Trismegistus, and uh, Tekenu. I don't know where it falls exactly yet, but it was an incredibly strong first couple of games. 
um, if history with those kind of games, which most of these are now in in Board and Dice catalog right now, I think only Tolkien is not, um, and maybe Trismegistus. Trismegistus might be Cranium, um, but um, if it is any indication, those games tend once I like them tend to to become even I like them even more on repeat mm-hmm. play, and this seems to have an incredible reward of depth for complexity. I don't think it's deeper than um, Teotihuacan or Tekenu, but the ease of play is much higher. So I think among these, Tekenu might still be my favorite for now, um, with being a little bit of a different beast. But this is very, very nice because... How you do things is very direct, which is not true of any of the other ones. Because Tolkien, I love the cleverness of the mechanism, but it's sometimes difficult to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. You have to move and count how many dice are there and pay that cost, but um, then you take the action based on how many they are and you cross the level of the dice with the number <laughs> of dice. It's definitely not intuitive and immediate. Sure. And is a little better, but still you have the dark dice and the light dice and which one I can use and how does that spin? And uh, there is a lot of you cannot do this until you have done that, which is great, but also creates a lot of difficulty on approach, so to speak. This is extremely clean. You take that and you do that action and the actions are move up on a track, um, take certain tiles, contracts basically, Take different ties that allow you to, to get little bonuses and build towards bigger bonuses. Move on the map with two different um, pieces. One is the architect that you need to be ready for the scoring rounds. And the other is, sorry, sorry the opposite. And the merchant, which you need to be ready for the scoring rounds. And the architect that instead gives you points at the end of the game by building pillars and things. Um, incredibly impressed. Um it, easy to explain, easy to, you never have that, oh, wait, I don't remember the rule. You have a lot of, how do I do this? But <laughs> me, the goal is never, how do I do it procedurally? Um, it doesn't have, uh, oh, let's go through these five steps every time you need to do something. Choosing what to do is simple. You have some modifiers but not to the point that you can do whatever you want whenever but you are never completely locked out of something it just becomes more and more expensive um is one of those where the theme they they barely tried right it's even the art i i think that's the weakest part of the four or five even of trismegistus which is as you know i didn't like the game but this the art is very very bland euro Mm-hmm. There is a map of Europe where you can go to Florence or to Krakow or to London. And then there is this little thing where you put your artisans in the house. Very basic Euro stuff. Uh, but everything else, the components are nice. The, they go with those colored, um, very poppy player colors that they're using recently. I'm, I'm super happy with it. I, I had great expectations for it. And it definitely met them. Um, I think that is the balancing of Tashini with Luciani. Mm-hmm. Um, Luciani brings in, I think, that 
ease of play, uh, which and Tashini has all of the complexity that is there. And and uh, great, absolutely great. So I'm glad to hear your glowing review of it because one day on our way out, it was a, at Gen Con for demo. Um, one day on our way out, I was like, oh, that's the game that they said, you know, it's the tea game. And it was sitting on the table and we were on our way out of the exhibition hall. And Dan was like, oh, did you want to look at it? And so we stopped for like a little bit and I looked at it and I looked at kind of, cause no one was there. Like it was just the game set up on the table. And I just looked at it and I was like, no, I'm good. I, I can tell that this is going to be a game that I'm going to enjoy. Like just visually looking at it. I'm like, okay, this makes sense. This makes sense. This makes sense. I, I'm going to just buy it. Like we don't need to stop. <laughs> We don't need to come back. Like I'm all set. So I that's pre-ordered for me through uh, board and dice. So I mean, obviously you could, you can never be one hundred percent sure, but I am very very confident that you will like it too. Good. Um, it's one of those on that that kind of solid euro where I have. I would be very very surprised if not only you you didn't dislike it but even if you just were like well yeah it's okay i think it's gonna be as, as good for you as as it has been um for me speaking of italian designers yeah the game that the other game that was a big hit for me at gen con was first rap i wanted to try it so much but it was always packed and we had to keep moving Tell this me is it. like perfectly in your wheelhouse as far as like cute like little meeples and a cute story but still trying to do something a little bit different so <laughs> i mean just like the the intro to me is like the best for generations the rats in the old junkyard have been telling each other the great legend about a moon made of cheese, and they want nothing more than to reach this inexhaustible treasure. One day, the little rat children discovered a comic in the junkyard that described the first landing on the moon, and thus the plan was born. Build a rocket and take over the cheese moon. Like, right, exactly. I was like, I was like, this is a Jackie game. Like, this is it. And I love it. Like, that is... The designer is Gigli? Yeah. Is the... Okay. And, um... Ossiello, Gabrielle Ossiello. I'm not familiar with them. Um, but it is such a cool game. I have every person that I've introduced it to is like, let's play it. Bring this to the next time that we're, we're playing games. I really love it. It's, it's just such a good game. And I like it with two. Um, and I've played it with three and I, it's a different beast at three because if, so you can either move one rat and it can go one to five spaces and then that's it. Or you can move multiple rats, but they all have to end on the same color. Okay. Space. There's a track, right? There's a track that goes around. Um, but if you land on the same space as someone else, you have to pay them cheese. So obviously, as you have more people, those 
movements become harder and harder. Um, so then cheese becomes much more relevant. And so because if you don't have cheese, you can get negative points. And so it becomes this very like, oh, why did you go there? Oh my God, what am I going to do? And it's it's so much fun. Every time I've played it, I just, I love it. And then you have different little stands and there's a crow that sells bottle caps and a little frog that sells energy drinks and a little hamster or gerbil that sells backpacks. And it's just, it's such a cool game. I I will 100% say that you will like this game. You guys would really enjoy this game. It is, I, I, again, was not able to purchase it there. Right. Right. So I'm like, what, what did I buy there? I'm looking around. I think I got, um, Golem you had already. Yes. Yeah. I got Dungeons, Dice, and Danger, which is a roll and write by, by Garfield, Richard Garfield. More exciting. It's, it's cute. It's, it's cute. I'll, what was um, the big gen combi? I know. I'm looking. I'm like, what did I get? Gutenberg. Oh, that looks interesting. How is it? So I think it's very different. It is a. It's one of those ones that that I've I played it and I was like, do I like this? I was like, we played through a good chunk of the game, and I was like, do I really like this game? <laughs> um, I think the mechanism is very, very interesting. So you have all these actions, and you bid on how much you want to go first in that action with cubes. And based on where you are in turn order, which just naturally passes every turn, you have a certain amount of cubes. So the farther behind you are, the, I don't remember if it's the less cubes or the more cubes you have. Um, but if you bid the same amount of cubes as someone who is um, further ahead of you in turn order, then you get to take that action. So if you're like fourth and you bid two cubes and someone who's first bids two cubes, then you would get to take the action first. Um but you're like, I don't know. I like the little wooden type pieces. Um, I did instantly upgrade the ink. Of course you did. For it? Yeah, of course. Um, well, because it's like these sad little like punch out things and they're like so thin. So we got like little, um, it was the board game candy bar or whatever place that has all those little like you can grab just clear cubes. Yeah. yeah. So we just did that and we just grabbed some, I grabbed some clear like acrylic sticks basically in the different ink colors. You had to. I had to. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cheap to do that. And I, it m- makes it look much nicer. <laughs> they had some color to the very brown bordered thing. So we didn't buy much, as I said, um, although more than we buy at Gen Con, which is basically nothing. Um, but we bought some feld. One was an old feld that you already own, um, Year of the Dra- in the Year of the Dragon. Yep. 
I had been considering for a while, considering for a while. I found it for, I don't remember if 10 or 15 euros and I needed it. Um, and I got Coca Pelli, uh, Coco Pelli. It's oh, okay. One yep. Once um, I had not explored it, but I haven't played it yet. But after reading the description, I think it, it would work for me. Um, it's um, a game where you basically have suits of cards and you're trying to build sets. Um, but once you, when you're building the set, you score it when you finish the set. But while you're building it, it also gives you a power that allows you to change the rules of the game, which not only it's interesting by itself, but also introduces another wrinkle in that you might help someone finish their set because you get a little bit of points, but you give them more, so you wouldn't do it normally, but this way you stop their their power and also that allows you to build the same power. So there are reasons to finish someone else's set, which sounds interesting. Um, and there was the man himself, Stefan Fell there. Uh, That's really- fun really wanted a picture with us. So uh, we had to go. <laughs> it was very, very kind, uh, very, very easygoing. Um, he was there presenting the new big uh, Marrakesh and all of that um, city series. Did you get to see Marrakesh? We saw it. Um, we didn't get into a demo first because it was very busy and second because, again, it was one of those very long, uh, long sure. demos. And I think it plays for over two hours without the explanation. It's a little longer than his other games. Um, It looks very interesting. It's also really big and busy, both physically large and really busy. And that gives me a little bit of pause because I tend to like his busy, busy games a little less. Mm -hmm. Trade is not among my favorite. Amerigo, I actually dislike so I tend to, with the exception of Bora Bora, maybe, I tend to like his more straightforward, a little simpler in the Year of the Dragon, Macau, Bruges, where there are a few things going on, Castle of Burgundy, but not 20 different things. And the other thing is it has a cube tower, which I need to explore more how it's used, because there are ways of using a cube tower that I really like and ways that leave me cold. Um, obviously, in its genre, very beautiful. Um, definitely not the Castle of Burgundy. It's it's colorful. It's nice. It's vibrant. Um, I try to to inquire about the the new the ones that are coming out. One is the remaking of Rialto, mm-hmm. um, and one is a new thing. Um, I think Vienna is the new one. Um, uh, or maybe Vienna is Bora Bora, and then there is another one that is new. Um, I'm more excited about the new ones, um, not only because I kind of like the aesthetic of some of the old ones, even if it's a little drab, like the Alpha <laughs> has its own, its own style, and I don't mind, but also because I'm more excited about seeing what's what's new in terms of what he is designing. Um, yeah, we so sat was- for we sat for a demo of Marrakesh. Oh, how, how was it? I really liked it. I thought it was super interesting. I have never played uh, Amerigo, so I can't compare how the two towers are. No, they're different. They're different. What they do is different. So you drop cubes into the tower, and then you draft based on what comes out, but there are some cubes that are in the tower already. 
and not all the cubes that you put in are coming out. And so it becomes this very interesting thing because the cube that you put in matches what area you're trying to go to, but it may not come out of the tower. And you're using your um, people in the different sections. It's very cool. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very smart. Um, and I was very disappointed when I found out that I could not find a copy of it. <laughs> oh, it's not, it's not available in general? I didn't see, I haven't seen it anywhere. And they're like, oh, well, the deluxe edition, blah, blah, blah. So, of course, you know, I'm looking for that one. <laughs> it, was, it was for sale at Essen for, I think, 70 euros. Mm. Um, so, one of the things that um, gives me pause is that usually I like Fell games because they have a clever idea that they explore and they finish before they overstay their welcome. For example, take Macau, which, as you know, is one of not only one of my favorite Fell, but one of my favorite games. Mm -hmm. Towards the end of the game, um, Macau, I won't get into a summary now, but towards the end of the game, you are delivering things and you are spending cubes to move around and bringing out cards that you won't use. You're just doing it for scoring purposes. So if that was extended from the last 15 minutes to the last 45 minutes, it would be a boring game. And I think that that's the true. That's true of a lot of other of his games, like Castle of Burgundy. When you get to the fifth round, you are finishing up closing things. If you were still doing another two rounds, another three rounds, it would be a little repetitive. With this being a little longer than the others, do you think that there is enough variety that it will stay stimulating throughout the length? Being a little. I think so. There's a lot going on. It's very point salad -y. Like one person specifically went for the river and I went for um, the this little like rondelle thing and, and my friend Dan went for gate building. And so it became like all these different things. And when we, we came out at the end of it, um, we did like a, like a little scoring and it wasn't a full game, but, um, we, two of us were very, very close. So it seemed like something where people who had very different strategies kind of all met up. And that is always a sign of like a, a very cool game to me, a very like balanced game, um, yeah, I and then there are like contracts that you have to complete. Um, there are things that you have to repay by the end of the round. I think there's a lot in it that will keep you focused and also trying to just spread out everything that it's one of the the Feld games where you're trying to do everything, mm -hmm. but you know you can't. So you kind of prioritize certain things and kind of push maybe one main thing, do a little bit of other things. So I I really am excited to find a copy of it and get some full-on plays in. So I'm thinking there were a lot of, of things at, at um, Essen, including things that I received afterwards in the Kickstarter, and maybe we, we can talk about it in a, a following episode um, 
because we are getting over an hour. But uh, two things I, I wanted to mention. One, that for the experience of Essen, it was different for me because for out of the blue, I must say, for me, Anna expressed interest in helping me recording previews of different games. So we recorded a lot of them. Not all of them are in good enough state that we will make use of it. But it was interesting. It was a different experience of focusing on trying to get a presentation of of the games. Not a review, obviously, but it's something that was new to me. Uh, among all of these things, one is that in terms of games, one that we didn't record the presentation for, but that was different. It's it's a, a popular game. It's Undaunted Stalingrad. But it was interesting because for us, it was out of our wheelhouse. We do almost nothing that has a theme of war uh, or a strong theme of war, usually things that are... Um, fantasy if war is involved while we tried this so undaunted is a deck builder that leads into a two-player skirmish game basically on a little map and when we had heard it the first time it was uh the the mechanics sounded very interesting you basically have units on the board that are represented by cards that you can put into your deck. And so when you put them in, they, they become stronger because they can be activated more often and they can have more powerful cards. But it was, um, again, this war theme, so we weren't super happy with it. We didn't want, not that we had any objections to it, but we, it wasn't our style, World War II. Um, but they came out with this version that includes rules from the previous games and as a campaign mode, um, and so we decided to try it um, from the demo that we have gotten. It's a very, very solid game. And again, I'm not discovering Anont. It is a very successful game, very popular, but it it's very tense. Uh, it plays quickly. The rules are clear. I know that for purists and uh, history aficionados and in a way I, I i got a degree in history i do like history but not particularly military history i wish it had a more fantastic theme um which i know for someone who, who looks into oh this is a good scenario about world war ii sounds like um heresy but i would like it more if it were i don't know i can use my wizard against something else or my space alien or even my i don't know my cowboy something that is not and yet another um eastern front in this case but it it was very interesting and i it somewhat made it into my maybe i'll get it list which is surprising for me um that was maybe the most surprising one um uh, because it was something that I knew about and I wasn't sure I wanted to try it. And it struck me very, very positively. The game is, I think, incredibly well designed. My only um, hesitations are thematic. So speaking of surprising, I won a copy of Undaunted North Africa. Oh, nice. Out. At Gen Con. Um, from Dice Tower, actually. Woo! Rolling the dice in the tower. Good. Have you played it yet? No. 
Um, Again, I'm, I'm in the same, you know, field as you. I'm like, first of all, two player games that are directly confrontational are not ones that will make it to the table for me very often. Um, just because my partner is not one for direct confront confrontation games and also the theme for me. Um, it, I was very surprised when I looked it up cause I, I had never heard of the series before. Um, and when I looked it up and it said a 7.9, I was like, what? <laughs> 7.9. How have I never heard of the series? How have I never played it? Um, so I'm very interested to try it, but yeah, I think so it's funny that we both had the undaunted <laughs> surprise. Yes. It's Dave Thompson design. The first one was undaunted Normandy. Then he came out with undaunted North Africa, which I think beside the change of setting, which again, that's the other thing that to me, I know that the history is very different. North Africa, Italy fought on the wrong side, but in North Africa. So it has a connection to the history of my country, etc. But I feel that that's the other thing that I don't like about World War II games. It feels like a different flavor. Oh, now they are shooting at each other with rifles in the trend. I don't know, in the plane. Now they're shooting at each other with rifles in the desert. And now they're shooting at each other in with rifles in the snow tundra. But it's a little bit, oh, literally, it feels like a, a, a color applied to the same palette. Um, so, but the first one was Undaunted Normandy. Then they came out with Undaunted Africa that actually added vehicles. Then they came out with Undaunted Reinforcement that added new rules, streamlines a few things, added cards. And so Undaunted Stalingrad not only is a campaign base, but also takes advantage from all of these iterations and new things. I don't think it has vehicles. No, it does. It does in later scenarios. It has tanks. And so it uses the, the best parts of all of it. Um, what makes me hesitant is that, again, what you also said, I do like some conflict games uh, 1v1. They are still not the ones that we play the most. And so even the campaign risks being more than we want to chew, right? Um, but I think that I wouldn't be surprised to see the same, maybe not the same exact mechanism, but the same idea of get more cards into your deck to make your troops more activatable, um, make its way to other... This approach to deck building not in terms of simply cards getting a, a synergy, but representing the added strength or the experience of a unit on a board. In a way, I really want to try playing it more because one of the ideas that I had toyed with for years of games that I would like to try and design that I obviously never get around to was, um, I was thinking more of a dungeon crawler or something like that, that uh, where you add your character and you bought cards that improved the cards that you already had rather than adding new rules and things like that. And it does some of that. Like if your characters die, you have to replace them with reinforcement, which are weaker. 
same same character but weaker and instead if they survive they can get experience and so you add cards that are stronger but the same card so um i i look forward to trying it i want to hear your impression if you ever get around to playing it i understand what you were saying it's obviously very direct confrontation you're trying to take out the other player pieces that's that's what it is and um but it's interesting yeah i think it will be on my back burner for a little bit i still have so many so many games on my shelves of opportunity um but back to your question games that i purchased at gen con um i did get acropolis mm-hmm. which nice is a shot. very fun tile laying game it's very simple plays very fast uh has a lot of player interaction it was very fun i i really like that i think it works well for what it does and the other one that i got was um tour the touring machine oh that's that's so good i wanted it that i couldn't find it it's such a good game yes so touring machine um is it sounds like it would be very boring when you describe it is there is a machine although it's a machine made of cards basically in which you have four you can have more sometimes you have but in general, you tend to have for most scenario four condition verificators. <laughs> yes. Um, where they say by checking the scenario, basically the scenario card or whatever, there is a way of checking things, basically. Uh, you can know whether one of the numbers of the four number combination is lower than four, or if the third Scythe, where the third digit is lower than the second. There are a bunch of different combinations. And so you present a theory to the to the machine. The machine doesn't tell you, oh, you got three right, like in a mastermind. It tells you, this machine can tell you if the relationship between your yellow and green number is right. This other can tell you if you have the right number of threes um, or fours in yep. your machine. These are, and it's it's basically a very pure deduction game. But even when we had seen it, we had decided to sit down and the guy who was very nice from Scorpion Masque um, was teaching it to us, it still felt completely dry. But once you play it, it's actually very involving. Yes. Um, I, I solved the, the introduction scenario in one try. That was... <laughs> That's very myself. Um, but it has a couple of, I think, shortcomings. We wanted to get it. We didn't get it simply because it wasn't available anymore. I think we will get it um, as well. Uh, I think there are two drawbacks. One, being a game that is so straightforwardly logic-oriented, you need to play it with people that already really want to play it. Because if it's not your thing, you can feel simply completely frustrated, not knowing how to use the information that you get. And it was the case for two people that we didn't know. They sit down, they got the explanation, and they hated everything from the explanation to trying it to the the solutions. (laughs) Uh, It's one of those games where if it's not your thing, there is nothing else, right? That's all and the other one is 
again, we only played one round, so it was fine. But for the machines that are longer, there is literally, not only there is no player interaction, but also there is, you don't have the time or the, or the material to talk about it. So not because you cannot disclose information. And so it tends to be a very, very solitary game. You are trying to beat the others to the, the finish line, basically. Yes. But you cannot even comment on what you're doing because you cannot discuss the, the logic of it. Um, you don't listen to someone else and go, oh, let's hope, let's hope they do this and not that, like in, a, I don't know, a hiding, hide and seek game. So that it's basically a solitaire game that you play at the same time. Yeah. And obviously it has a solo mode, which is fine. Um, and they have, I, the, the part that I like is the replayability because they have like a daily puzzle that you can do online. So it just is a random number that you can figure yeah, out. Like Two million on yeah. the web, something crazy like that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I really like it. I think I hadn't thought about it. Obviously, it has um, a solo mode. And um, I think it might be a game that works very well solo because it's kind. It's very different in, in styling what you do, but it's a little bit like doing a Sudoku, right? I, 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 we can challenge each other with the Sudoku and say, let's see who, who takes less time. Here is fewer tries rather than less time. Yeah. But it's kind of the same. It's kind of competing for a logic puzzle, but not like cryptid where you are interacting with the other players or, uh, I don't know, or, or things like that, or search for planet X. Yep. Like you, here is literally you're doing your own, you have zero interaction with the other players because, for example, there are four of the verificators and you choose three. But it can be the th same three for everyone. It's not like if I take this, you cannot use it this round or anything like that. So, right. Um, but it was it was very very good. We really liked it. So I think that brings us to the end of our episode. It went by really fast. Yes, uh, and <laughs> it was it was nice. Obviously, there would be there are hundreds, if not thousands, of games released at Jenkins and Essen, um, and. I think they will percolate through through the discussion over the next few few episodes. But it was nice, as you said at the beginning, as the title of our episode, being back. We are back. Uh, it's nice. It's nice to talk about games, and it's nice to have so much to talk about. Because, for example, I haven't heard what you think of Golem, which I haven't had the, the chance to play yet. So I look forward to that as well. Um, games big and small there have been a, a, a glut of them uh kickstarters are finally coming yes uh, i have a few that i was waiting so so i'm excited to hear about that but it was great um thank you everyone for listening and thank you nathan for for doing this again yeah thank you i'm so glad to like you said just to to be back and be talking about games it's it's like completing something that was missing so uh so yes thank you everybody for tuning in and signing out i'm nathan and i'm jackie bye guys bye, -bye.